Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Good morning. This is John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of God. In Gallery Church, it's a great joy to be with you. Um, I've not been to your church before, but uh, I have been to Baltimore before, and it's a joy to be back, and it's a joy to be worshiping with you together this morning. Uh, would you please join me in prayer as we begin? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. 
Well, friends, we are in John 17 today. My understanding is you've been in a series on the Gospel of John. And I want to start off uh, maybe in a little bit of an unusual place. I don't want to start in the Gospel of John. I want to go back for a moment to the Gospel of Luke. Jesus, uh, among other things, was a traveling teacher. He was a rabbi, uh, a Jewish teacher who was uh, wandering around the northern part of what we call the land of Israel today, the, the region of Galilee around the lake. And he eventually made his way down to Jerusalem, where, of course, he was crucified and raised from the dead. But as he was traveling around, he was known as a teacher, among other things. He healed people. He, he welcomed people to uh, banquet to dine with him. He forgave sins. He, he made those who couldn't see to be able to see. He touched people that no one else wanted to touch. But in all of this, he was also a teacher. And one of the things that teachers were known for in his day was that they taught their disciples how to pray. Because a lot of us struggle to know how to pray. We believe that God exists, we believe that God loves us, but we're not quite sure all the time how to communicate with God. And so Jesus' followers, uh, they're the disciples, which is a word that just means learners, they're trying to learn from Jesus, they come to Jesus and they say, please teach us how to pray. And he gives them a prayer, which most of us know as the Lord's Prayer, that's what we call it. And here's how it goes in contemporary language. All of us will know this. Many of us will pray this multiple times a week. Uh, if you're part of a, a tradition that does that, you'll probably know these words by heart. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever and ever. Amen. Now that, that prayer Jesus gives in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, but not in the Gospel of John. John is a very different gospel than the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and a lot of readers of the Bible have asked themselves over the years, why is it so different? I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, Jesus doesn't speak in parables in the gospel of John in the way that he does in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't have some of the stories that we love, like the parable of the prodigal son. That doesn't show up in the gospel of John. We don't have the story of Jesus going up on the mountain and being transfigured with uh, Moses and Elijah there as witnesses. And so a lot of readers have wondered, what, what is John all about? Why does John sound different? And I think the reason for that difference is that John was the last of the four Gospels to be written, probably several years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what a lot of uh, readers of the Bible have discerned is that John seems to be someone who has internalized the message of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's taken it deep into his soul. He's thought about it. He's meditated on it. He's prayed over it. And he has written a gospel that in some ways is trying to sum up and gather up all of the treasures of the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And what I think, and this is not original with me, this is what many readers have thought, that our 
chapter that we just heard read this morning is in some ways a meditation, a, a breaking open, a drawing out of what's there in that Lord's Prayer that we just heard. That prayer that Jesus gave his followers to pray. If you ask, if you ask yourself, what does it look like to actually make that your prayer? We can read John 17 and see Jesus himself showing us what it looks like to pray. Not just teaching us, but showing us. Have you ever heard that, uh, that expression? I'm a teacher, so I think about this a lot, that teaching can only go so far. Telling someone what to do can only go so far. You actually need to model it for people. You need to show people what it's about, whatever it is that you're trying to convey. And so Jesus is doing that here in John 17. He's not just telling us what to pray or instructing us about prayer. He's praying. He's showing us himself what it looks like to pray. So that's why I titled this, this uh, teaching this morning, The Prayer of Our Lord. Some people have pointed out, in many ways, the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer is actually probably better called the Disciples' Prayer. That's what the disciples are supposed to be praying. That's what we're supposed to be praying. But this prayer in John 17, that's the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer of the Lord himself. So I want to lead us into this this morning, and, and it's obviously such a long chapter. It's a very rich chapter, so we won't be able to get into all of it. But I want to try to draw us into what I think the heart of it is. And I want to do that in kind of three parts. So the first part of the prayer is Jesus' prayer to be glorified. Father, glorify your son. What does he mean by that? I want us to get into that. And then in the second part of the prayer, verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples. He prays for them to be, to be kept safe in the truth. What is he praying for there? I want us to get into that too. And then finally, in verses 20 to 26, he prays not just for his followers, but for the whole world. He prays that the whole world may come to know God in an intimate way through the way that you and I live our lives. So three parts. Jesus' prayer to be glorified, Jesus' prayer for his followers, and Jesus' prayer for the whole world. Let's take each of these kind of step by step and see what we, what we find. Jesus prays at first. This is verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, this is, this is a really important verse in the Gospel of John. And we know that because of the words that John uses here, he's used already several times earlier in the gospel. He talks about his hour has come. Do you remember where that word hour first shows up in the gospel of John? Jesus, in chapter 2, he goes to a wedding and they run out of wine which is a terrible thing to happen at a wedding, of course. And so uh, Jesus' mother goes to him and says, do something, Jesus. They've run out of wine. This is a catastrophe. And you remember what Jesus says to her? He says, my hour has not yet come. And that phrase shows up several times. My hour has not yet come. And now... We get to this moment in the Gospel of John. By the way, this prayer that Jesus prays, he prays it right before he's arrested and put on trial and crucified. This is the last 
major glimpse that we get into the life of Jesus before he's killed. And notice what he says. Father, the hour has come. It hadn't yet come earlier in the gospel, but it has come now. The hour that it's all been tending towards is now here. This is the climax, he says. And what does he pray now that the hour is here? Father, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when I say that, that word glorify. I can guess what comes to your mind because it's what comes to my mind. Glory is the idea of shining, it's brightness, it's brilliance. If we say something is glorious, that was a glorious sunset, we mean that it was beautiful, it was stunning. Or that was a glorious view when I went up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and I looked down and I caught my breath. It's just stunning, it's glorious. So Jesus is praying, Father, make me glorious. Let the world see my glory shining out. But here's the thing. In the Gospel of John, the glory of Jesus apparently shines most fully and brightly when his hour of death has come. That's the, that's the paradox. The Gospel of John is filled with paradox. It, it, it's, it's like you know the, the dark hour when, when Jesus is nailed to the cross. That's the hour of his glory. And you say, how is that glorious? That's tragic. That's suffering. That's agony. That's dying. That's not glory. But for John, it is. Listen to these words from chapter 12. You may want to turn over or you may just want to listen. But in chapter 12, starting in verse 27... Jesus is already looking toward Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be crucified. And he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Do you hear that? When his hour of, that he wishes he could avoid his hour to be crucified. When that finally arrives, he says, I I wish I could pray to be saved from it, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to pray, Father, glorify your name. Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, he says, it's the moment when I am lifted up from the earth, when I'm glorified, that I will draw all people to myself. And then the writer tells us, John tells us, when he talks about being lifted up, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. He's talking about the moment of his utter humiliation, his utter suffering, his utter, his darkest hour. That's the hour when he's glorified, when he's shining in splendor. And as, he, as he's dying there, he's drawing all of us to himself in mercy. He's dying for us. He's giving his life for us. He's loving us so that we might have life in him. There's a, there's a wonderful uh, image. If you go to this little obscure church in London, uh, I've only seen it on the internet. I'd love to see it in person someday. But um, there's, a, there's a, uh, a sculpture that's on the back wall behind the, the pulpit. And uh, it's a cross. And you can see a shadow on the, on the beams of the cross. You can see these, these arms that are kind of splayed out and they're, they're curled, they're suffering. You can see these big nails sticking out of the hands and the feet. It's obviously the shadow uh, of Jesus' crucified body there on the cross. But the sculpture is of Jesus crowned with glory. 
and he's wearing kingly robes, and he's standing out from the cross with his arms out like this, blessing. You can still see the shadow behind him of the, of the nail-pierced hands, but this is the glorious Christ, the risen Christ, the one who's alive. And I think the sculptor, whoever he was, wanted us to see that it's actually at the very moment of him being humbled and suffering and dying, it's that very moment when the Father says, yes, I glorify you. Yes, this is your glory. Yes, this is where the brightness of my love is shining most fully. It's on the cross. We don't have to wait for Easter Sunday to see it. We don't have to wait for the stone to be rolled away and for Jesus to be raised up and for the sun to be shining. We see it already in the darkness of Good Friday, already when Jesus is laying down his life. That's, that's the point. That's what John wants us to get. And friends, by the way, I think this has really big meaning for us because a lot of times when we're going through our dark nights, when we feel abandoned, when we feel like there are nails piercing our skin, God seems most absent in those moments. We don't see any glory of God in those moments. And I think John would tell us that even if we can't see it, we can trust that even in that agony, even in that dark moment, whatever it may be for you, loss, grief, whatever it may be, the glory of God is there. The love of God is right there. It's not, it's not somewhere else. It's right there in the midst of your darkest moment. God's love is not uh, far off. The glory is shining even if it's veiled from our sight. Secondly, Jesus goes on to pray not just for his own glory, but for his followers. Listen to what he says. I have manifested your name. He's talking to God, the Father. I've manifested your name, Father, to the people you have given me out of the world. Those are the disciples. They've, they've come out of ignorance and darkness. They've come to follow Jesus. God has given them to Jesus. Jesus has been leading them and teaching them. And he says, I've given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I, Jesus, came from you, Father. And they have believed that you have sent me. What's he praying for there? He's praying for his followers to hold on to the truth that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is not simply a teacher. I talked about him being a teacher. You know, he teaches his followers to pray. He is a teacher, but he's not just a teacher. He says in the Gospel of John, I am. That's the sacred name of God. You remember when Moses uh, encountered God at the burning bush, he said, I know you want me to go to, to your people, and I know you want me to tell them who you are, but I don't know your name. So tell me your name, God. And God says, my name is I am. I am who I am. I exist all by myself. Nobody props me up. Nobody feeds me or takes care of me. I am the all-powerful one, the all-sufficient one. I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am, always am. I, I am, I was, and I am the one who's to come. And Jesus says, that's who I am. And he says, I've given those words to my followers. And Father, I'm asking you to keep them in that truth. 
to let them hold on to that message. One of my favorite preachers, uh, he, he died a few years ago. His name is Robert Jensen. And he says, uh, what, is the, what is the very, very basic definition of us, the church? If you had to boil it all down to what, what draws us all in together, what do we have in common? Do you know what he says? He says, the church is the community of people who have the message. I really like that. There's a lot more we could say about the church, of course, but we're the community of people that have the message. The message is that God was in Jesus loving us. Or as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That's the message. And what, what our job is, the reason we're here this morning, is because we believe that, or if you don't believe it, you're invited to believe it, we believe that and we want to pass it on. We want to pass it on to our kids so they can believe it and their kids can believe it. We want to pass it on to our neighbors so they can believe their love, so they can have forgiveness. We want to pass it on to our enemies so that they can believe it and they can have life. We're the ones who are like the, the custodians, the stewards of the message. And there's, again, there's a lot more we could say. We're, we're called to feed the poor. We're called to uh, you know, gather blankets and coats for people in a cold Baltimore winter. But, but at, at the very root of it all is we're the community of the message. We're the community who have heard the good news that God loves us. And God gave his only son to be our savior. And our job is to just repeat that as much as we can, to share that with as many people as we can, in the hope that other people will come to believe it, and then they'll become stewards of it. They'll become custodians of it. They'll join us, and they'll start passing on the message. And that's ultimately, by the way, how the Gospels came to be written, is the earliest followers of Jesus, they started going around outside the land of Palestine, outside of Israel, and they started going to places like Greece and Spain, and they said, Jesus is alive. And people said, well, who's Jesus? And they said, oh yeah, we need to tell you that. Jesus is the one who said this, and did this, and did this, and, and then went here, and then died, and then rose from the dead. And that's how the Gospels came to be written. Because they needed to tell who is this person who's alive now, and why is that good news? Because, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be good news, right? I mean, what if the message was, Adolf Hitler is risen? That, that would maybe be good news to a small number of people, his allies and friends, but it wouldn't be good news for all people. certainly wouldn't be good news for the Jews. But if Jesus is risen, if Jesus is alive, Jesus, the one who loved even his enemies, Jesus, the one who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If that one is alive, well, that's good news because that means that he's unreservedly for every last human being. He wants all of us to be saved. He wants all of us to come into the love of God. So the, the, the message is the good news that God loves the world in his son Jesus and wants everyone to have eternal life in him. And Jesus is praying for us. Think about that. Jesus, the, the one who's raised, he's praying for us, praying for his disciples, that we would be faithful to that message, that we'd hold on to it, that we'd remember it every day. I love that. I love that y'all have a prayer app. I, I pray, try to pray first thing in the morning just to remind myself, okay, what is, what is the basis of my life? What do I believe that I'm going into this new day? I believe that God created me. I'm fallen, but God didn't abandon me. God loves me. God sent Jesus to be my savior. 
this is who I am. Now I can face the day. <laughs> and now I can tell other people about it. I'm a steward of the message. Well, thirdly, Jesus turns his attention from his first disciples, and he starts praying for the whole world. Listen to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, the ones who are in the room with him, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So they were the first ones who passed on the message. And then others passed on the message, and then others, and finally it came down to us. I heard it from my mom and dad. So they were links in the chain, and now I'm passing it on to my godchildren, and my friends, and my students, and my neighbors, and now you all. <laughs> we're, we're just carrying on the message, and, and Jesus says, I'm praying for us, not just for the original hearers, but for you and for me. It's as if he's looking ahead in the future and saying, there's going to be a gallery church in Baltimore that's going to believe this too, and I'm praying for them now. I'm not just praying for my immediate circle. I'm praying for those who will believe afterwards. And listen to what he prays. He prays that they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you, Father, have sent me, Jesus, into the world. Jesus is praying that we would be one, which is another way of saying that we would be unified, that we'd be like a family to each other, that we'd be so united that just as God was in Jesus and Jesus was in God, there was that, that mutuality that we might actually come into that same relationship, that we might share in the very life of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about the Christian life that way, but uh, I think that's what Jesus is encouraging his followers when he gives them the Lord's Prayer. He says, he sa they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, pray like this. Our Father. Do you, have you ever thought about that our? Our Father. Jesus was the one who knew God uniquely as the Father. He had a special intimacy with God. He called God my Father. But when he teaches it to his followers, he says, don't, don't say my father, say our father. And the point there, I think, is that Jesus is inviting you and me. He's, he's inviting his followers to, so to speak, grab hold of his neck and, and jump on his back and let him carry us into the presence of God. It, it's as if we share in his unique intimacy with God. And we do that because the very spirit of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, lives within us. So you might say, I don't know if you have ever asked yourself, what is this whole idea of the Trinity, the Christian teaching about the Trinity? God is one, but God is three. It sounds like a math problem. Well, well, the point is, if you know how to pray the Lord's Prayer, you already know what the Trinity is. Because the Trinity is what we share in when we pray. We look up to Jesus, our older brother, and we piggyback on him. We, we take his hand and we say, take me into the presence of God. Show me the one that you call Father. And he does. He says, come with me. Hop on the back of my prayer. Pray with me, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And pray in the energy and the prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to say that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
We know God as Father, as a tender, caring presence in our lives because of our older brother, Jesus, the Son of the Father. And we pray in the energy and in the love and in the prompting and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus wants for us. That's what Jesus wants for Gallery Church. He wants us to share in the very life of God. To be a Christian is not just to believe certain things with our minds or to, I don't know, do certain things with our, our apps. It's, it's actually to, even though we can't see it, it's to, to use a big word, it's to participate, to, to share in, to dwell in the very life of God. To know God the same way Jesus knows God. To pray with the same intimacy with which Jesus prays. To be empowered and enlivened by the very spirit of Jesus. That's our privilege. Paul, Paul uses the word boldness. We have the boldness to pray to God like this. Have you ever watched, I, I remember a few years ago, I was, I was in a very important Zoom meeting. And it was very professional. I was dressed, you know, sort of, I had a tie on. And in comes barging my three-year-old goddaughter. And she hops up into my lap and she says, who are you talking to? And everybody sees her on the screen. And, and you know, that's the privilege that she has. She can be that bold because she knows that I'm her uncle. And, you know, I'm not going to scold her for that. That's the image that we have of prayer. We, we, we're able to barge in on God. We're able to climb up into God's notice and care because we're united to God's son, Jesus and we have the very spirit of Jesus dwelling within us and among us, enlivening us, prompting us, aiding us. Aiding us, Paul says, even when we don't have our own words to pray. But the spirit is praying within us, joining out the groans of our hearts with Jesus as Jesus bears them up to the Father. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come. And as, as they come, uh, I'd like you to be thinking of that. Maybe picture yourself placing your hand in your older brother Jesus' hand. Maybe picture yourself climbing onto his back like a little kid, piggybacking on him, and praying with him, not just my father, but our father. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And to know that even as we do that, he is praying for us, and he is giving us a share in the very life of God. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.